You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. And again, we still have a low cost. We're at about $604 an ounce gold ASIC net of copper and really robust economics. You know, it's 1.6 billion MPV at a 5% discount rate at $1,400 gold. And um, there's a lot of leverage. I mean, if you start to look at sort of 1680 gold price, which is about 20% above uh, the base case, you have a $2.5 billion MPV. So this thing has a lot of torque and it has a lot of leverage to the gold price. And uh, I think it, it really solidified this as a, a major project of uh, kind of world-class scale. Thank you for tuning into Mining Stock Education again. I'm your host, Bill Powers. In today's episode, we are going to be getting an update from Lumina Gold Corp and their Congreos project there in Ecuador a massive project, a worldwide top 15 gold development project. They've already demonstrated over 17 million gold ounces. Ross Beatty owns just under 20% of this company. There was a PEA done on this project in 2018, but the company just released an updated 2020 PEA. So I asked both Scott Hicks, the VP of Corporate Development, and Marshall Koval, the president and CEO, to come on today's show to give us an overview and an update. So gentlemen, welcome back onto Mining Stock Education. Marshall, I'd like to kick it over to you first. Could you give us an overview of the 2020 PEA that you just put out? And what are some of the key differences versus the PEA that you put out two years ago? Hey, Bill, thanks for having us today. Yeah, I think what we demonstrated with this PEA that we just uh, completed is that obviously this is the largest gold deposit uh, in Ecuador. You know, it's moving towards the development stage. Um, we've had really good success with the work that we did between 2018 and uh, and today. We did quite a bit of drilling, about 40,000 meters. We advanced a lot of the engineering for the project. A lot of the project engineering is towards pre-feasibility study level. Um, we've got to the point now where we understand the scale and the magnitude of the project with the addition of the Grand Bestia deposit. So now we can really look at what what is the... Uh, infrastructure needs for the project, what does the economics look like at a PEA level, and really if I, I kind of walk through a couple of the big issues and the big changes is, um, you know, we designed the pit on this when we did the mine plan at $1,100 gold and about 235 copper, so the idea there was that we could have a defendable project that would survive multiple cycles um, in the gold price cycle. And, you know, we've achieved that by sort of a 25 year mine life. We've also looked at optimization of the mining and, and the process plant to drive down operating costs um, as much as we can. Because when you look at the uh, value proposition on an MPV basis, you're going to be a lot more sensitive to operating cost and metal prices than you are the initial capital cost. So we went through and, um, you know, the geometry of the mine, uh, we started off with 40,000 tons per day. You know, one of the questions we've heard before is how come you haven't gone to a, a bigger initial throughput because we plan to expand to 80,000 tons per day in year six. Well, a lot of that has to do with the mining geometry and the sinking rate and the ability to get to that production level uh, straight off the bat. So, um, you know, some of the big improvements are uh, a larger mining fleet, you know, that helps drive down the operating costs. We looked at a lower power consume, 
consumers in the plant, like a high pressure grinding roll instead of a sag mill. Um, a lot of those sort of things went into uh, this updated PEA. And again, we still have uh, a low cost around about $604 uh, an ounce gold ASIC net of copper and really robust economics. You know, it's 1.6 billion MPV at a 5% discount rate at uh, $1,400 gold. And um, there's a lot of leverage. I mean, if you start to look at sort of 1680 gold price, which is about 20% above uh, the base case, you have a $2.5 billion MPV. So this thing has a lot of torque and it has a lot of leverage to the gold price. And uh, I think it, it really solidified this as a, a major project of uh, kind of world-class scale. It's the 37th largest uh, uh, project, regardless of mines, uh, development projects in the world. Uh, for gold. So we're really excited about what we've been able to show here. And uh, we look forward to continuing to move the project forward. Marshall, when you were reviewing uh, the results of this PEA before you published it, I'm sure you reviewed it with Ross. What was some of the feedback that Ross had? You know, he really likes where we've ended up. You know, he, he likes some of the conservative uh, estimates that we put in as, as far as how we went about the project design. We have a good defendable project. Um, you know, and I think one of the frustrations that Ross has, is, as well as myself, if you go back and you can see this on our, our deck on our website, but if you look at um, Lumina Gold from 2017, when we released our first resource estimate of 4 million ounces, and you move forward to the current scenario, so you sort of have our share prices moved up 19% over those three-year period. You know, gold has moved up um, 41% over that same time period. And we've, uh, we've had a 400% plus increase in, in the resource at the project. So we think there's a disconnect in the market. Uh, we think that we're severely undervalued. And, you know, that's, that's one of the frustrations that we've had uh, as management. And, you know, we've delivered really good solid results here. I mean, this... This project will produce 366,000 ounces of gold per year over 25 years. Not very many projects out there that have that ability. So those are, those are kind of some of the comments. Ross was happy with what we achieved, but not so happy with the market. Scott, your background, uh, you come from the banking side. So as a banker, prior to working with Illumina Group, uh, when you look at this PEA through the eyes of a banker, what jumps out to you? Thanks, Bill. I mean, the most obvious things are are obviously, you know, as Marshall mentioned, the scale of the project, you know, really stands out for um, bigger companies to take a look at. And then, you know, I think the other nice thing about this PEA is we've gone from a 16-year mine life to a 25-year mine life. And, you know, it's so important in the, obviously, you know, the mining industry is a very cyclical business. So it's so important to have assets that, you know, allow you to hit multiple cycles. I mean, it's one thing to model these things at a flat commodity price uh, over 25 years, but we all know, you know, you're going to have these big waves. So I think, you know, having that longer mine life is, is a big, a big one. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, Marshall said conservative estimates and, you know, to expand on that, you know, the mine planning for this was done at $1,100 gold. So you've got, you know, a mine plan that can survive much lower gold prices than where we are now. And I think, 
when an acquirer is looking at it, um, you know, that's really going to show through. Your CapEx on this project is, I believe, a billion dollars U.S. What is the realistic feasibility of something like that getting financed in this climate? So, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting options to finance that. I mean, you know, you look at the cost of capitals from majors, it's come way down. Uh, You know, Newmont's doing bond deals these days, the size of that CapEx around, you know, 3%. So very, very cheap cost of capital. So the big guys, you know, I think it's no problem. Uh, The intermediate guys, um, you know, I think there's, they obviously don't have access to those type of bond markets, but I think, you know, we're seeing the equity markets come back. This quarter has been one of the strongest uh, gold equity issuance markets uh, in, you know, the last five years. Uh, So there's the equity option. You know, we're seeing banks come into Ecuador. Uh, Lending Gold was able to get, you know, conventional bank debt as part of their financing in Ecuador. So that's available. And then with this project, you know, you've got the copper offtake side of it for the uh, copper concentrate. Um, Certainly you could bring in, you know, an Asian smelter partner uh, for maybe 20, 25% of the project CapEx. So, you know, I think there's a lot of different avenues that somebody could pursue to, to put this project into production. So as investors look at Lumina Gold now, uh, they might compare it to other big deposits out there. We get our Chesapeake Gold, International Tower Hill, Nova Gold, Seabridge Gold, these type of projects, which investors typically tend to look at them as out-of-the-money call options on the price of gold. And many of their share prices have been doing good in the last six months to a year. How does Lumina Gold differ from these companies? I think the biggest difference with some of these projects is you know, this is a project that works at, you know, our last study was at $1,300 gold. I think we demonstrated it had a robust, uh, you know, MPV and IRR at $1,300 level. So it, it works at the lower gold prices. Um, it's large enough. It still gives you the, the torque that those other projects have um, that you mentioned. Um, but, you know, without maybe the huge CapEx associated with it, um, you know, some of those projects are five, $6 billion builds. And even in this much stronger gold price environment, I just don't see, um, you know, companies rushing to build those type of very, very large projects right now. Um, but we think, you know, a billion dollars is is achievable. And we're very fortunate to be in an area of Ecuador with great infrastructure. So, you know, we're right next to the port. We've got power to site and all these things help with, you know, the reduced capex versus um, you know, to use an example like Northern Dynasty, um, you know, that has to build just so much infrastructure to make that project happen. Um, whereas, you know, we're really uh, fortunate to be surrounded with really good infrastructure. As you look at moving this project forward, you've talked about on this show and elsewhere how the exit plan is to sell it to a major. And I remember when I had a conversation with Ross a couple months ago, if I recall correctly, he said that there's really no point in drilling out more ounces of gold once you reach that 25-year mine life because you're not going to get any value in terms of net present value currently. So what would be the next logical steps to create the most shareholder value as you progress towards an eventual takeover? You know, I think um, even though the uh, the drilling aspect doesn't add that much value, I want to just point out that the deposit, both Congrejos and Grand Vestia, is open um, in several areas so that you could add more potential ounces to it. But I think as far as your question goes and, and moving forward, what you really want to do is make sure you get this on the permitting path. And we've done a substantial amount of work um, in the field with baseline studies, all your environmental baseline archaeological studies, hydrogeology, uh, hydrology, 
um, ARD, you know, water modeling, all this kind of stuff, uh, biodiversity studies. So we, we're setting up the project now so that it can move along that logical progression towards permitting, regardless of, of who would put this into production. So that's gonna be a key focus going forward. And, you know, it's not as sexy as putting out drill results, but uh, it's a critical aspect of the project that will continue to move forward. Have any majors signed confidentiality agreements? Are you able to share at all about that? So one of the things that we did is, before we even entertained any inbound interest, uh, is we wanted to understand what Grand Bestia meant to uh, the overall project. And so in 2018 in the PEA we did, uh, the Grand Bestia deposit was not part of, uh, of that study. Subsequently, we drilled it and uh, now we have a understanding for kind of the scale of Grand Bestia and what it means to the overall project design. So until we understood that metric and, and to look at it internally and understand the value creation from Grand Bestia as, as it uh, contributes to the overall project, um, we, you know, we hadn't really talked to anybody and, and we uh, needed to understand that. So we put out that updated resource last November and we've had some inbound interest and we have some CEAs in place and, and that's about all I can tell you at this point. What more should investors expect over, let's say, the next six to 12 months out of this project? Basically, I think the uh, what we're going to see out of this PEA is um, we're going to get recommendations out of the consultants. We already have a lot of those. And we're going to look at the sort of overall areas that you can optimize the project further. Um, you know, and that's going to be, you know, the permitting pathway, looking at some of some of the areas where you can do some engineering that may add value to it and uh, obviously any sort of exit that's going to add the most value to the story. Regarding the exit, um, I see in the chat rooms and online discussions, people talk about what would be an acceptable exit price. Obviously, you've already articulated that you're not fully satisfied with the valuation of the, the company now. When we see these buyouts, they're done a good one, maybe 50, 60% over the current market price. But it seems to me that that might not even be acceptable to you because you're trading at US $188 million market cap as we speak. But the NPV you just put out is $1.6 billion. So can you address a potential takeover price? And would you accept shares or only cash? You know, I, yeah, well, shares and cash, you know, those are the type of transactions that we've done before within um, the Lumina Group. So obviously that would be a scenario we would look at. Scott, I think you might talk about the developer peers uh, in the Ecuador discount a little bit, and then also maybe talk about some of the new uh, coverage that we've got. Haywood put out a price target and uh, any any sort of inputs there. And then I can kind of chime in along the way. So, you know, kind of coming back to your question on premium, Bill, I mean, I think it's important to remember that in the context of this scale of project, you know, whether somebody's paying an extra, uh, you know, 50, 100, $150 million worth of market cap, it's not really going to move the needle on their perspective on the entire acquisition and the project, you know, just because it's such a long life project. Obviously, the CapEx is a larger component of, you know, the build and getting it to production. So, you know, that, that type of movement on the acquisition cost isn't really going to be that huge of a deal from our perspective for, for a buyer. Um, you know, if I think about kind of just value from the top down, you know, you've got our $1.6 billion MPV at $1,400 gold, which 
you know, certainly that would be long-term consensus view right now. Um, you know, you think about where developers might typically trade at, um, so call that a 0 0.5, 0 0.6 multiple. So you're kind of sitting at around 800 million. Um, you know, we appreciate Ecuador's in newer mining jurisdictions, so people are going to apply some sort of discount for that, you know, whether it's 10 or 20 percent. Um, you know, I think if you think through all that, you can kind of see how, you know, you get to a valuation of something in and around that $2 US a share, just working down from our MPV and using some pretty reasonable assumptions. Um, but it's going to be a question of, you know, uh, getting getting a new uh, large gold participant to move, move into Ecuador. Um, and you know, going to Marshall's point there on on the research coverage, um, you know, Haywood Haywood put out a new target today based on the new PEA. So they moved up from a dollar fifty price target to a dollar eighty Canadian price target. Um, so I mean, that that's kind of where they expect that it could trade to in the market here, um, just on a normal valuation. That's not not factoring in a takeover or anything. Uh, so that's their new price target. So those are just some benchmarks there for your, for your listeners to think about. Yeah, and I think, Bill, the other thing to add there is we're trading that 76 cents today. And, um, you know, I, I think from that perspective, there's a, uh, a good investment thesis for uh, savvy investors in the gold space that are looking at developers like ours. And, you know, I think on the Ecuador discount point that Scott talks about, um, you know, Fruta del Norte uh, being permitted, financed, and constructed, and, and now in operation, and the Mirador project. Both these projects were, uh, Fruta was about 700 million, and Mirador was over a billion. It shows that you can get international finance, and you can permit, and you can construct and operate these projects in the country. So, so part of that, uh, as time goes on and more investment, um, you had... Franco Nevada come in and do a deal with Soul Gold on a royalty, and you had Newcrest come in and and take out a stream on Fruta del Norte, and now they have 50% plus 50% of the free cash flow from Fruta. And as the 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 market kind of matures, I think part of that discount will go away. So hopefully we would move more towards uh, you know the Western world developers like Scott was talking about uh, also. You'll need cash to move forward. So the question always comes from investors, what's in the treasury and uh, are you going to need to finance anytime soon? So, I mean, at the end of March, our last financials, we were sitting in the shade over $4 million US in the treasury. Um, you know, our burn rate's going to go down quite significantly here post finishing the PEA study. Um, so, you know, we, we think that'll run us out a, a good amount of time. Um, you know, Ross and, and the board are really of the view that um, they'd like to be anti-dilution focused. They don't want to be raising at these uh, undervalued levels. And, you know, Ross has made it clear that he's there to, to backstop the company, um, but doesn't want to do uh, an equity raise. So that's, um, you know, we don't anticipate raising money in the near term here. And that's unique. I should point out for listeners that are newer to the Lumina Group, you don't issue warrants, which is unique on your financing. Uh, you have Ross at owning one out of every five shares. Management and board owns 9.6% of the company. So between the management and the board and Ross, there's 30% of the company right there. So you're running the company, not just as employees, but as investors yourself. And I think that's something important to point out. Gentlemen, do you have any further thoughts you'd like to share as we kind of wrap it up? What more would you like to leave with the investors listening to us? Yeah, I think uh, take a hard look at uh, the results of this PEA and, and look at the, the 
group as a whole in our history. You know, we've, uh, I've been with Ross since 2004 and I don't know, we've uh, managed to sell seven or eight companies through that period. One of the companies we had that I was the CEO of, Anfield Gold, we merged that into Equinox uh, Gold. And, you know, we have a history of being able to create value in the market. And right now, when we look at the metrics that we put out from this PEA, and we see where our share price is uh, trading and knowing that we're an exploration development company, not an operator. So we add value, de-risk, and we exit. I think there's a really good value proposition here. Um, we're trading, like we've discussed here, below what we think we should be trading. And so we think there's a lot of upside in the stock. So I would ask your audience and investors to take a hard look at us and appreciate your time, Bill. The website is luminagold.com. You can find it on the Venture Exchange in Toronto under the ticker LUM. On the OTC in New York, you can look up LMGDF. The current share price in Canadian terms is 76 cents. It's 50 cent, 56 cents in U.S. dollars. And as I already mentioned, it's about $188 million U.S. market cap, whereas the current PEA values the project at $1.6 billion. Marshall and Scott, thanks for coming on today's show and providing an update. Much appreciated. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. 
If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.